What is the most essential part of every outfit? Shirt. Pants and chain. The face. Okay, hear me out. <laughs> I said, I said face. I meant to tie that all together with more so, I was going for like the face you have with the outfit, but I really meant like face and posture. Mm. So I think even if you have really nice clothes on, and I see this often, mm-hmm. some people got the flyest thing on, but they look goofy wearing it. <laughs> they look so goofy. Yeah. You ha- if I high beasts. A lot of hypebeasts. A lot of hypebeasts, but also just people that think that they're wearing something fashionable and it looks absolutely silly on them because they don't know how to hold themselves in it. Mm, like you have to be, become like a part of it. Dang. So no matter what you wear, no matter what the outfit is, mm-hmm. I think that how you rock it is the most important part. You know what's Hence, funny is all of our answers models. is so us like i feel like those are like the parts that like we care most about like for us you don't really care that much about like specifically the clothes as long as like you're wearing them i guess i don't really know what your qualifications are (laughs) but like you would say something that's not the clothing at all and shamir you always have like these graphic shirts and like what was yours the shirt shirt. and it's like you always have like i'm surprised you didn't say shoes because you also have like uh, like a matching pair of shoes for everything. You think but so? <laughs> because you had, okay, I'm specifically thinking back to, you had like 12 pairs of the oh, same, the same shoe, yeah. but like in a different color. And every <laughs> single time you wore it with a different color, I was like, damn, that's fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's only because when I was young, these limited collection shoes came out and like, I really like the shoes. And now I'm just trying to wear them. The floral Because ones, like I bought, right? them. yeah. Yeah. Because I just bought fire. so many. I'm like, all right, years later, I have to wear these. Like, I'm not just going to collect dust. So. That's like that's like damn Daniel with all the vans that he got yeah. after he made that video. Mm-hmm. What was yeah. yours, Amber? Mine was pants and chains because I feel like every outfit starts with pants for me at least. That chains, chains are like essential. On the pants? For, no, no, no. For like uh-huh. pants. So let me explain. What in pants? the hot topic is going on here? <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, not chains on pants. Chains on neck. I think that. Um, Every outfit starts with the pants. You know, like, when you're like, okay, what should I wear? I go straight to the pants first. I'm like, what kind of pant day is it today? Is it leggings? Is it a printed pant? Is it, like, what is this? And then I'm like, okay, now what shirt is going to go with this? And then whatever jacket and shoes and stuff. But I don't then, know if guys mainly do this, but I think I think I do shirt first. Shirt first? Yeah, yeah I do. Because mm. pants do. can be what – usually they're either black or jeans or yeah, yeah. something. They go with we, everything. We don't have that many options. Like you guys have leggings. You guys have like mm-hmm. this, that, I don't know, like a bunch. Flat pants. We just have, we just have like what? Joggers and jeans. Mm. Right? See, that's how I'm deciding because yeah. I have a shirt to match with whatever pant. But I don't have a pant to match with whatever shirt. You know, like, like style-wise, like the way that I think about it. So I'm like, let me start with the pant. And then see Dang. what shirt goes with it and then match everything else with you it. You also have like the weirdest pants in the world. That <laughs> How are you supposed to match some like clown house pants with a normal t- t-shirt? You need well, like the saying. full clown outfit. Like if I start off with a like super bland t-shirt or like say I'm wearing like an orange t-shirt and then I like wear like navy blue pants. Those actually go pretty well together. I don't have a point. <laughs> Listen, at the end of the outfit, right? 
I feel a certain amount of power when I put on a gold chain or like a silver chain, like pulling the outfit together. Like that just makes me feel complete. I don't know. I think the less you have on, mm-hmm. sometimes it feels good to have all that on, but I, mm-hmm. I feel uh, the most, I feel the most powerful without that stuff. I mm-hmm. like rings and necklaces because I think they feel really cool. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if I have nothing, no mm-hmm. bracelets, just like a t-shirt and pants, I think that's the most powerful. Okay, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> just a blank t-shirt? You don't yeah. have to think about because, your outfit. Because you are completely like, reliant. It's like a t-shirt. It is a canvas. So people can create their own imagery of me when I wear it. No, nah, pla- like plain stuff. Like you are absolutely reliant on um, yourself. It's like, exactly yeah. what Amber said. Literally. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like the way she said that. Cuz that cuz cuz in the outfit you can like hide. You can just sit you can literally I've seen this so many times. A person is just standing there or sitting and being like, "Yo." Yeah, and but do people you ever are like, "Oh like- my god. Look at how cool this person is." When he's in a blank t-shirt you're saying? No, 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 in like mm. a full outfit, like yeah. glasses, all that kind of okay. stuff. They can literally just stand there and people yeah. will be like, yo, so like, what do you Sick. do? I think the importance of like wearing a full outfit and when you, like, you know, you have simple days. For me, those simple days are, you know, if I'm at the gym or running errands or whatever, and I feel good in that. But sometimes when you're like having a I don't know, Amber, you your, your gym out, outfits are not simple outfits. Yeah, they are. They're a t-shirt and leggings. They're relatively to her other outfits. Yeah, they're like they're a t-shirt and leggings. They're as like simple as they could be, um, for me. And then some days when you like really embody an outfit that really what you're feeling like exudes your energy, it helps you like um, like portray yourself exactly the way you are on the inside to people who don't always know you. Mm. You know. Yeah, I'm blank and heartless on the inside. Interesting. <laughs> well, guys, thank you for tuning into an episode of Strange Flavors. My name is Shimmer. I'm Faraz. My name is Amber. And this is the strangest and greatest podcast in the game brought to you by Aleph Theory. You can email us, send us your music at strangeflavorspodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy this podcast, you can share it to all your friends and make sure to subscribe, like, and comment. to send in music. Brother. Yeah. We We're moving on to, to brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you're brother. Older brothers only. Older brothers. If your older brothers are <laughs> rapper and more attractive and does gym stuff, make sure you send in your music um, so Amber can check that out. Yes. And, um, and don't forget to put his Instagram in there. <laughs> yeah. And if you'd like to follow us on all social media, at Strange Flavors. And yeah, if you'd like to support this podcast and be part of the Strange Flavors town, such as Bobber's Bagels, Cassie's Cupcakes, Erha's Ices, Freya's Falafels, Uslam's Apples, then there is a link down below where you can help support this podcast. Hang on. I'd like to publicly apologize to Cassie's Cupcakes. Whoa. Mm. There was she she brought up a concern in the Discord that we were coming for her. I'd like to point out again that we're not coming for you. I said that when it hits the dessert, it hits. But she was saying she would like to possibly be uh chai or coffee. So Cassie's I would like to chai I would like Cassie's to add coffee? on. Listen, I would like to add on to the cupcakes that the cupcake shop now offers coffee. Hmm. Can I also so just point out cup- that you had no reason to rank them in order? Nobody asked you to do that. Amber, you have no reason coming for people's brothers, all right? <laughs> Cassie's Cupcakes no. and Coffee. So, because you know how sometimes cake shops, they got the coffee in there too? So now, just to... Just to She's a bakery. Um, 
give her something extra for for me being extra. Cassie's cupcakes and coffee. Bruh, I can't say all that. Yeah, that's a I'm lot of saying words. <laughs> <laughs> I you Cassie, I tried. The idea Cassie, of coffee is in there. If you want to say, Cassie, I tried. It, you can. I'll leave a. Blank we don't have any coffee. And you just go there. We got so, no coffee. Someone in the with a C will town. come in with the coffee. Or a K. See, Cassie's K. chai wouldn't work. It just doesn't. I know. It would have to be like Dachu's chai. Yeah. And it, and it has to be like a K. Cassie's K. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. Cassie's sh- Okay, well, we'll keep the coffee in the cupcake shop for now. All right? But. If you were supposed on, to phonetically spell chai the Amber. way that it sounds, how would you actually <laughs> spell it? Amber. Like, see, no. I don't well, we know. don't have a ch sound in the English alphabet. Challenging. So it would be ch. I'm sorry. I would like to take back my statement. <laughs> I tried to I tried to save you. Yeah. You kept going. You just kept going. Sometimes you just have to let other people think about it too and I'm glad you came on this journey with me. <laughs> you really didn't. We also have a YouTube channel that goes by the name of Ronopono. We have a Patreon for it. We have an awesome Discord. And we also have exclusive merch on ronopono.com, which is really nice. Yes, sir. Um, People, I know we're dropping fire TikToks, okay? People are sharing around our little dolky thing that we did. And they're saying, I love these guys. Where are these guys at? Don't worry. We got you. (laughs) We're working on an album. We got you. Also, people are reaching out and saying, yo, can you guys do this at my dolky, at my wedding? We do this. <laughs> we do Reach this. out. Send us the invite. We'll come to your dolky. Pay we'll come to your tickets. wedding. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we've actually performed. And, and um, mm-hmm. we've actually, um, what's it called, crashed a few weddings. So if you'd like that, like, let us know. But on The Real, we're working on an album. So stay tuned. Don't give up on us. Stay there. Um, it's sounding awesome so far. Yep. Um, at our email, which uh, Shamir said, strangeflirterspodcast at gmail.com and all of our Strange Flirters, uh social media accounts at Strange Flavors. You guys are always free to send us questions, stories, um, or reach out for advice if you need. We have Uvidu, our great magical supporter, coming out with a question. He says, question, question for the podcast, if you could kill off any character from any show, who would it be and why? Ooh, dang! So from Could have any this been sh- an intro question? That's way too hard no, to think of that would be for so an intro hard. question. I have something in mind. Who? All right, Andy from The Office. Oh, that's good. I could I could do without Andy in The Office any day. I hate Andy from. The, I know some people might not like that. He stole Jack Black's whole thing. With the reddit to do and all that, the noises he makes, I don't like him. Could have done without him. Everything else about the office, amazing. The only good part that Andy has is at the end when he says, like, you know, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good times before you actually leave them. And that's the only reason that I put up with all of his other BS throughout the entire show, especially when he's like hitting himself to please Will Ferrell's manager character. That stuff was just pissing me off, and I hate Andy from The Office. Come at me. Hate me. I don't care. Do you feel like there's, like, certain characters from shows that, like, you hate, but 
They're so Amber, is this going to be Lizzie McGuire? Just just let us know beforehand. It's not Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, although I did think about everybody from Lizzie McGuire to see Amber, if I wanted to kill them off. And they're where, all essential. Where are you going? Um, so, okay, do you ever feel like there's, like, people that you're like, okay, I really hate this character in this show. Like, I freaking hate them. But then they're, like, essential. <laughs> and they, like, bring a lot. Who Ooh. is it? Chuck Bass from Gossip Girl. Like, I don't know if either of you guys watch Gossip Girl. I don't. I've seen it a was, few episodes, but... It was, like, it's huge for, like, a lot of us. Like, uh, mostly everybody I know has watched Gossip Girl. And, like, he played this, like, villainous character and was very much, like, uh, was, like nauseating at times. Wait, girls, um, if you agree, just drop a, just drop a F in the hot. chat. F in chat. F, oh, yeah. Drop a F in the chat if you agree with Amber. They're talking to see. the interns. Um... <laughs> F in the chat Niyati for what? Oh, F. If they agree. Oh, they agree with you. Don't like, stand. F. Niyati and Hadia both said F in the chat. <laughs> yeah. So, Chuck Bass, I'm so sorry, but I'm a Nate Archibald type girl. And even more than that, I'm a Dan Humphrey type of girl. Who you got, Shamir? Amber, I agreed with you in the fact that a lot of these characters are essential. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the nerdy guy from Victorious came into my head. <laughs> and, oh. and I was like, I don't remember anything about him. It was just that only the fact was he was annoying. Mm. He was annoying. There, I feel mm. like a lot of kids shows have characters, multiple characters that we're all just hated. <laughs> I think that could be the deal with a lot of. But oh, I Hannah Montana, like, I hated the brother. Nah, but. Sometimes no, he's dope. Jackson? Jackson he's dope used to, sometimes. no, no. And then I found out he was like 30-something, and then it just like threw me off even more. He was more. dope. I don't know. And then no, if anybody exact- from Hannah Montana was, what's his name, Oliver? Oh, no. That's oh, a nice, those short, maybe. like. No, not Rico. Rico was no, amazing. Rico's a king. Rico's a king. Wait, Oliver's super essential. He's a main character, literally. Oliver was nice. He's such a simp. Yeah, but like in a group of two girls. Uh, that type of character is, is like needed. Yeah. Like you're gonna have to be not as like. <laughs> what's the word? Nah, we don't. We don't. We don't like. Uh, we don't associate with Oliver around here. Is that even his name? <laughs> or am I just like thinking no, I think that it's that's Oliver. his name for? Some... Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No. That that's a good question. I think there's a lot of. Uh, I wanna. I wanna hear from you guys and Uvidu, especially you. Like. Yeah. Um. Drop it in the, the Discord yeah. uh, or, or the Discord, comments. Discord, comments. That's a good question. Shamir, you had quite a day yesterday, my guy. Oh, yes. my gosh. I'm still recovering. My man um, has been streaming on Twitch for weeks uh, of his video game content, of him making music and um, just hanging out with different supporters, killing it, very uh, consistent on that, building a great fan base, Yesterday, for the first time, decided to do a charity event for the um, Twitch stream. The goal was $50. Yeah, I set a goal of $50. How much did you raise? $1,057.48. Come on. Come on. Come on. Wow. This guy. Like, that's amazing. That's crazy. You were dropping tears, man. It was a senti stream. Dude, I cried. I heard he was crying, and I had to why were download you, a Twitch app. Talk to us. Why were you so? Why were you so emotional? Um, in in other people raising money for this. By the way, it was for direct relief. Yeah. Um, why were you so emotional of other people raising money, not for you, but for another cause during this Twitch stream? 
Um, I think like I don't know. It's, there's there's just like a lot of money going out in the world right now, as you can tell, like in the atmosphere and stuff like that. And um, for like such a small stream, and I've been only streaming, like you said, for like probably like three four months now, and my go expectation was really low, fifty dollars. And so I was like, all right, maybe we'll hit it by the end of the night, you know. But we hit five hundred dollars in twenty minutes, right? Um, and these people have supported everything I've done past couple months, past couple years. And the fact that I put, you know, my attention to this cause, direct relief, to help people that are in need, they just blew everything out the gate. Like everything out. And for me, it, this You're not is gonna like start crying again, are you? <laughs> I'm about to. <laughs> um, it's okay. For kidding. me, this was like one of the biggest achievements, right? We've hit a thousand subscribers. We've hit, you know, 30,000 subscribers, but that's like kind of for us. And anything that we do means nothing if it doesn't help other people. And this just directly helps other people. So to me, this is like a huge achievement and it shows how legitimate a my stream is a everyone, how valuable they are when they come to the stream. It proved a lot to me. It proved a lot to people that watch that this is legit. This is legit. Like any content we've made, I've raised a thousand dollars with only 20, 30 people. We've done um, charity events before. We do this um, often. Actually, we sell things for um, a good cause. We've never raised um, this amount of money in this short amount of time like you have. What do you think it is about um, not just not just what we've done previously, but like there's a lot of people that raise money um, in different ways. Uh, you could even, you know, make a joke about the mushid not being able to raise money, <laughs> like as, as well as this Twitch stream has. But oh, what do you snap. think it the is The mushid's about... gonna come after me, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're gonna start working for them. <laughs> um, what do you think it is that that brings the community closer and make people want to like donate without necessarily? Because, I mean, if they wanted to, there's been plenty of places to donate. Maybe they have, but like you've never really seen it in this way in such a quick amount of time. What do you think brings people together and makes people want to be giving in that way? I think like the sense of genuine community, that's like one aspect. Uh, I think another aspect is gamifying it, right? We like, we set the game of it being like, hey, zero to $50, like we'll play this game and see how much money we can raise for this good cause. Mm -hmm. And then I think people started raising like the first twenty dollars, I started freaking out. I was to me that was a lot. I was like, "Holy crap, this is twenty dollars." Did you set fifty so there. that it could be hit above, or was that like, "Okay, let me be realistic," or what? I was like, being why realistic. Why did you set that fifty? Well, because I thought you know maybe we'd hit fifty. I to me that was a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to be like, "Oh, five hundred, and then like hit, get seventy-five dollars. Like, I think it was low-key like a good strategy, though, because mm -hmm. people are like, oh, this is reachable, but we also want to... And your excitement, your reaction to every single time someone donated, it was yeah. like, it was a reward on its own. So yeah. people were like, oh, if he got excited off of this, wait yeah. till I that, drop That's That's 100. what I was trying to get at. It was like my reaction, because I remember people were chatting like, wait, just hold on. And I was like, what can I hold on for? Like, I was anticipating like, what am I holding on for? And then someone dropped a hundred dollars, the first hundred dollars, and I was like, "Holy crap!" And this is like the first ten minutes. I'm like, the action of what I'm gonna do in the stream hasn't even started. So mm -hmm. I just start freaking out, and every time I'm just like, 
my heart's pumping and I'm freaking out yelling like, no way, what the heck? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And yeah, just, I don't know. Like I'm still can't wrap my mind around it. I actually woke up, I only slept for like four hours cause I was just still so excited that this <laughs> happened. Um, so I'm like really tired right now, but. Yeah, you know what? Um, I will say that throughout this journey, whenever we do things um, and, and we have this community engagement, I'm not the best and maybe, uh, well, actually, I'm probably the worst out of all of us, but uh, at showing that sort of love and appreciation and, and, and um, you know, sparking that sort of engagement. Shamir is one of those people that is very good at making people feel special. And I think sure. when you were saying what you were saying in your little um, emotional speech, I think people were enjoying it because they, f- they feel that it's true. And also, mm-hmm. as somebody who knows you and works with you, um, and, and anybody who's a creator will feel what you were saying. Because you were basically, it, it's not that, okay, we raised this amount of money. It's the journey along yeah. with it that like, you just felt like, wow, what I'm doing has meaning. And yeah. it has real impact. And it's not that you know, people just randomly donated. You, uh, you got people to do that. And you were some sort of um, energy that, that that became goodness for people and a positive community that people felt like, oh, everybody's doing this together and we're all part of this shimmer twitch stream, but it's mm-hmm. not, you're like, you're, you said you're the, you're the face of it, but truly it's, you're shouting out the same n- names. Mm-hmm. And when new people come along, you know, you invite them and you're playing with other people and it's yeah. a sense of community and thankfulness yeah, uh, and, sure. and just gratitude overall that came pouring out. And I think anybody who has been in that position will understand exactly where you're coming from. And or if they don't, then at least appreciate uh, and understand where you're where you're coming from in that way. So that was really nice to see. Yeah. Um, I will say that just from watching that and the next day, um, seeing what was going on in the stock market, <laughs> I actually got like a like kind of this um, like reawakening basically because I because I often feel this way. But um, if you don't know what's been happening in the stock market, like basically the people um, and and specifically like the Reddit community was gonna you know take over and and sh- and like shove these big Wall Street tycoons down and these hedge funds who want to bet against. Um, you know, these people who don't know as much about stocks. And a lot of people got involved in specifically the GameStop stock um, and making it go up and everyone felt like they were going to get rich. Um, And then like a bunch of stuff happened where these funds were able to like um, create some barriers in shutting down aspects where people weren't allowed to buy anymore and they were forced to sell and apps like um, Robin uh, Robinhood were yeah. like not allowing people to access things. But what I was going to say about that is that um, from watching your stream and, and me, you know, just get just trying. I, I'm not a stock person, but I was like, oh, this looks like a good opportunity. I like let me go in on it. And um, the the sort of um, not not having control over what happens in that aspect, even mm-hmm. if the stock is going up yeah. and people can still shut it down. Seeing your stream, I was just had this th- sort of thought that 
I got to just keep betting on me. I got to keep betting on us. I got to keep betting on our communities. Yeah. This goes for the overall political atmosphere, too, that we spoke about recently, where I'm not going to bet on politicians to save me or mm-hmm. to speak up for my community. I'm not going to I'm not going to wait for all these um, things to just happen on their own. So you Shamir inspired me yesterday too to continue thinking in that way and and thinking in the way that what we're creating is real and people that believe in us can continue to hold us to a high standard and expect us to deliver and it's gonna be a voice for the people we're gonna be that like reddit community we're not we don't want to be the people that say, oh yeah, just give me the money and then let me do what I want to do with it. It's about involving everyone, hearing out everybody and, and going forth in this effort. But at the end of the day, like, I just, I just feel like, you know, uh, invest in yourself, yeah. invest, you know, in your own stock. And, and not, I know this was for charity, but like sometimes we think that we're only worth $50 and it ends up being way, 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 way more. And yeah. you have no idea about it. So always believe in yourself. Yeah. Any any final thoughts? I know I just threw the like the stock market thing in there just casually. You um, just full circled it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's I just want to like... mention that uh, Twitch is interesting. I logged on for the first time yesterday. Amber was having a blast. We were I all having, having a blast time. with Amber. Yo, in there, also, so. also, I gotta say, shout out to Sadia. Um, oh, yeah. Sadia got a lot of people to join. She got the me stream, to join, and she got people to donate. Yeah, she gets I felt people so to buy. Bad. I felt so bad. I was like, Sadia, you don't have to get these people in here. And then <laughs> she, but, she was but like, Sadia, Amber, you know, get on the live. I was like, okay, like, no, no. I got a text message in our girls' group chat, and it's like. He's crying, he's crying, he's crying. And I was like, and, and I'm in the middle of something, and I'm looking at my watch like, Shamir, he's crying, he's crying, he's crying. So I drop everything. And I oh, go full-fledged into this, like, what are they talking about? Why the is Shamir drama. crying? Is he my okay? God. No, like, I'm concerned. Like, if I'm hearing Shamir's crying, like, on stream, I'm not assuming, like, oh, he's crying out of happiness. My automatic thing is, is he okay? Then I read this, and I was like, oh, snap. Like, it's going. And so then, for the first time, I logged on a little twitchy thingy. I made a little county thingy, and I wrote in the little chat box. <laughs> That's what I mean, though, because... You know, Sadia is somebody who's been here from the beginning. You know, she's working with us. Um, and she often tells people like, hey, did you buy the merch? Did you buy Because like she just, <laughs> yeah. she likes being a part of what we're doing. She believes in it. And before she was even like doing anything, she was that yeah. way. And she believes in these things. And there's a lot of people um, that, that believe in it in that way. And it's, it's really nice to have that. So yeah. not, I'm, just, I'm not just trying to say this for us. But if you're listening, like bet on yourself because you are in control in that way. And there's gonna be things that happen along the way, but you figure it out. You don't have to rely on anyone else. If you believe in something, um, like absolutely just invest in that. And, um, and you don't, know, great don't things overthink. will happen. Don't overthink. I think you should just do, because this, I, like, I thought about starting a charity stream, but like I didn't think anything of the technical aspects or anything. I literally thought of the day of. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna have a charity stream today, and I'm gonna choose today. And I was like, hey, maybe I'll try this once a month. I don't know. I just went in, and all that came out. So you never know. I think you should just always go forth in, 
believe in yourself as long as it's for good just keep going word up with that inspiration we want to give you a little taste of some more a heavy load of inspiration um this this episode goes on for a while but i promise every minute is worth listening to you will get so much from it um and we're so thankful for uh this guest so the stranger today is an extremely talented and inspiring stylist and activist. She's worked for brands like Gucci, Chanel, and Vogue, and many more. She's gone on to create the successful West by East brand, focusing on emerging South Asian American artists. Um, in her political career, she's accomplished flipping the New York State Legislature, being a founding member of Malialis for Black Lives Matter, and a whole lot more. So please welcome yeah. our lovely guest, Leah Thatcher. Yeah. Blue jeans, there ones in a white tee. Oh six, hanging out the window like E. High V on one, off a lot of might be my tree. Smoking agent orange, high C. Back when me and Marty was recording at my mom's. Mostly I was chasing around rocks. I was in the lab, only hoping at my job. Never would be based around mops now. I'm on. Yeah. Is there, a, is there an airplane mode for mother in law? <laughs> oh, I told her she knows she forgot that I have this, so they're they're not gonna come down. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they see moms. Even even my mom still now, she yeah. knows that I do a podcast, and she'll stand in the corner and she'll be like, like <laughs> and I'm just like, like what should I do? You know, she wants no. to provide energy. No, yeah, is it no. cutest when your dad came in one time and just kind of like. Chilled in the camera view. He did? We were, yeah, we were, we were recording in your basement. Your dad just came down. He was, like, very proud, just looking. And you're like, he's in the back of the podcast. Like my son. That's, That's cute. That's so funny. Yeah, they They're just, not like, too nosy like that. I don't, like, all, my, all my family members have came in at some point during this podcast, or some of them multiple times. So we have to, I have to find an airplane mode for that. Maybe just, like, a yeah. – oh, remember in Full House? Did anybody watch Full House? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've seen an episode here oh and there. God. I probably you won't guys. get the reference. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait, okay. what do you mean? An episode here and there? That's like, wait, you haven't watched it? No. I'm not a Full House person. Ooh, it just I feel like fair. I watched every episode too many times. Okay, well, for people <laughs> that watched it, please, somebody tell me that they've watched Full House. It was like our, sh- like our family show. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Uncle Jesse, he had like a light on his he was in the basement like recording his music and stuff and so he had a light that he would turn on that like he's recording or he's jamming out like don't come to the basement so maybe that's what i need anyways (laughs) hi leah how are you hi guys i'm good thank you for being here uh after 20 minutes from coming home from work or whatever yeah looking all stylish Mm -hmm. I, i had to come correct (laughs) <laughs> Though my face doesn't look that great today, but it's fine. We moisturize, so that's good. We um, c- coming correct we, already. Like you're so like proper, but like throw in these like really cute like slang things, and I'm just living for it. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Okay, so if anybody watched uh, Brown Coat season three, like Leah, every time she basically opened her mouth, the three of us <laughs> while we were recording were just laughing. We learned because- like, new vocab. Mm-hmm. Her vocabulary <laughs> is intense. Give me another I word for attempt, intense. <laughs> I attempt to be polysyllabic in all moments what? of my life. What is <laughs> I can't even pronounce on. that. But let me tell you something. It, to me, it's like getting a return on my on. investment. Wait, wait, wait. Like, poly, <laughs> so multi. 
Polysyllabic is multiple syllables, so longer words for just describing regular things. I wouldn't have even said multiple syllables. I would have just said big words. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's that's a synonym phrase as well. Thank Um, you. But, but it's, but it's amazing because you're like you're so happy and positive and just throwing this out casually and like do, do you ever you talk like this like all the time yeah yeah this is this is my do people ever speech. look at you like I have no idea what she's saying you know what there's been a few times that I've said something and um, my husband five minutes later be like I don't I don't think they understood you you might want to rephrase <laughs> that and I get that a few times but generally I'm like hyper aware I don't know the three of you really bring it out in me I don't I feel like I have to like oh you're we're so dumb. dumb we're so dumb <laughs> yeah. you're like you bring it out because you don't understand me <laughs> no, no 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 let me tell you what's really going on Leah people pretend to understand what you're saying to seem like they're at the same level as you, we're just accepting that we're not. Yeah. That's what's happening. <laughs> well, see, that's what I appreciate. I mean, I, I'm sure there is a degree of falseness, but I don't... I are searching I, for the word while she's speaking. <laughs> I just don't word. know. How can I, how can I, I say this? No, no one's real. I've had a few situations where I've gotten some, like, confused looks, but for the most part, I feel like they... <laughs> They either fake it or they understand. Context clues exist. Yeah, context. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. During Brown Code, uh, you had a lot to say about dating advice and (laughs) Brown F boys and those topics. Recently, well, really since this podcast started while Amber's been on it, uh, (laughs) she, she loves and we love when she shares her dating stories and her experience on these apps um, mostly because we're laughing at her, but it is a little bit, it is a little bit sad to a I degree. I mean, it's, it's like TV show episodes whenever Amber brings up something and I'm like, how is this real? <laughs> it's entertainment. I mean, Why is it sad? What do you it's mean? It's not even just entertainment. It's the average brown girl's experience on these apps. No, I feel no, like. no, 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 no. <laughs> Amber's no. experience is definitely not the average brown. Why is brown it not? Why is it not? I you don't feel like I don't feel like to even explain that stuff to you. Like, that. well, do you think it is Amber? I would a hundred percent say that, like me and Dang. a lot of my girlfriends, like very much mirror each other's experiences. I'm just very open about it, and I'm like, yeah, upfront okay. about it. Okay, like I maybe, agree. Maybe, maybe like how guys, maybe how guys are, but definitely not like. There's there's just not a way that everybody wants the same thing like that's just yeah. not true so like, like all brown girls do not want the same thing no no, no it's, sure, i don't but think their it's, experiences with other yeah people. i think okay, sure. the interaction so i'm like a long time fan and listener and bullied my way onto this podcast but <laughs> this is a um, fact. i've listened to amber's stories quite a few of them and honestly i've heard girlfriends say very similar things so i don't wow. think it's like out of pocket i think it's i think it's pretty average i think it's great she talks about it so that they don't feel like they're crazy right so (laughs) there's a lot of things that i feel you know brown women experience that is insane to the average person but to us it's like well this is just what we gotta these are the cards that have been dealt to us you know and it elevated because i had never been on dating apps before but i did as of three, four months ago. And I often think about you because 
you're the first person that I've ever heard of in my life that has said somewhat of a success story, but you have an app success story. I do. I do. I met my husband on Bill Mill. (laughs) Yeah, we met on Bill Mill. We were some of the first users of Bill Mill because we met (gasps) in 2015. And at that time, like, there wasn't that many people on it. It was free then, too. I think you have to pay now. You have to pay now? Yeah. There's, like... There's like um, some sort of like it's almost like shoddy. There's like the free one where you like you have to deal with a bunch of crap, and then there's like the paid one. Some of my mm-hmm. girlfriends that are like searching for spouses have told me that you have to pay, which I thought was appalling. I'm like, you have to pay? Like what? I didn't yeah. pay. Um, but yeah. my husband and I, he was my one match at a time. Sorry, my internet's slow. Oh, oh, <laughs> maybe that's what the free version. Oh, that's that's crazy yeah so you can only view one match at a time and then you can't view any of the other matches unless you buy it so i was like i'm not buying it i'm just gonna view one match at a time oh well i would assume that if you're like eagerly looking for somebody you would pay for it yeah i mean i've been pushing my sister-in-law to get on bill mill mainly because i just want a wedding to plan i really that's really my only (laughs) goal out of this but um you know, she was like, no, I don't, it's like, you have to pay, like, 20 bucks or something, and I'm like, what? I'll do it for free, like, I will just figure that out for you, but yeah, my husband and I were each other's first match on Bill Mill. First match? First? Yeah, we were each other's first match. He no. signed up because his buddy made him sign up together with him, he, like, at the time, Jeeves was Denny's, uh, very good friend uh, they were, like, the two single ones in their friend group, so. Are you, are you uh, sure you guys weren't the only ones on the app? I, I, I like honestly we might have been it's like he's like that he's was looking at the app he swipes he's like leah i don't know leah all right she looks a little better this yeah time. Like, you see the same person i remember there was only like five guys like on i was living in brooklyn at the time too and a lot of the guys like the indian guys lived out in the suburbs like they lived in westchester or long island i'm in new york so you know, so because of like the the radius or whatever, I guess a lot of guys didn't show up. But for Denny's work at that time was near my apartment, so I think that's how he showed up on mine. So yeah, we were each other's like first matches. But I didn't even sign up for Dilma. My brother was visiting me for Christmas for like Christmas break, and he signed me up. And he was like, "You have a very sad spinster life. You need to date someone." <laughs> so. That's how the app ended up on my phone. And then I was like, fine, let me like look at this thing. And the rest is history. So yeah, we met in 2015 and we got married in 2017. So worked out. That's incredible. I think also maybe you had less options. You were first on the stage. <laughs> no, 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 no diss to either of you. I'm just saying that the more options we have, the abundance of, you know, all these different apps and yeah. ways and and just really just like expectations based off yeah. of what we get hear a, and see. Let me use my big words. You get choice paralysis. Yeah. Oh snap. <laughs> That's a you good one. That's you didn't a good think one. that you didn't think that we used big words? Yeah. You didn't I, think that we were polysyllable. <laughs> I have faith my connection was cutting the off. That's why I have the utmost faith in your intelligence and capabilities. <laughs> so I did not doubt you for a moment. Um, but I think it's also a choice process. But also, you know, it's curious, too. I'm a proponent of dating apps because 
my husband, I would have never met him if it weren't for Dill Mill because he's older than me. We run in completely different circles. Like literally we're the we're both Malayalis. We're both from Kerala. Our families are from Kerala. We're both Malayali Christian, but we literally have zero overlap in friends. There's no one in each of our circles that knew of each other. So there would have been no scenario in which we would have met if it weren't for Dill Mills. So that's what I always tell like my the single folks in my life. I'm like, it's an opportunity for you to meet someone that you would have never met otherwise. Like, I guess there's also the overwhelming choice factor, but you know, mm-hmm. I think because our communities are so small, we kind of assume we know everyone, but we don't. There's like a whole other world out there, but I think you should stay on the member, you know, find your <laughs> Mr. Right. Listen, I'm already off. Um, so Leah, before we even started this, you said that one of the main things that you try to do is just like not box yourself in. So take us take us back to, you know, when you started your journey about um, you're you're into fashion and you're into politics, but like where do things start off for you in exploring um, your career path? Yeah. Um, well, I have to start when I was 18. I had I've always been a pretty, uh, I guess, out of the box thinker. My dad was always really encouraging of that. Um, I think he just thought it was kind of interesting that I came up with all of these crazy ideas and he very much fostered that in me. I grew up in um, suburbia, Chicago, and my only goal was to get out of there. I was like, I don't know what I need to do. I don't know where I need to go, but I do know that it's not here. <laughs> um, there's a lot of- corn- Why though? Well, I gr- when, I, when I was growing up, uh, my parents moved out to Tinley Park and at that time, the population was 99.9% white and I grew up being the only and I don't exaggerate this because I actually double checked recently but I was the only person of color in my entire school system like we didn't have any teachers that were not white we didn't I didn't have any classmates that looked like me um so I grew up in a world where I was always the odd one out. Like I always stuck out. Like there was there was no way for me to blend in. Like my skin is my skin. And uh But, but did you want did you want to be around people that look like you? I did. I really wanted Cuz I didn't know that when I was little. Like I just I didn't know that there was going to I don't know like I was okay with a bunch of like wait even like transitioning school. from pakistan to america you didn't yeah like, you feel were that? cool i mean that was just that was just a, i was too little okay. that was just yeah. a culture shock overall but i'm saying like middle school high school Whoa. i didn't know like oh yeah like brown people i just didn't know what it would be Leah, like. are you an only child so i never wondered no it. i have a younger brother and he is seven years younger than me so, so you didn't for, have even like siblings in the same school no. system at you at the same time no. it was very much alone yeah, we were always, like, two separate s- school systems apart at all times. And so it's not even like you, you had, like, somebody look like you that was even your own That's family. scary. Yeah, that's yeah. Scary. And I didn't have, we didn't have any family in the States. My parents were, like, the only ones in Illinois. My dad's mm-hmm. sister lived in New Jersey, but uh, we didn't have any family. Everyone was, most of our, my family is still in India. No one really came over. It was just us. So, yeah, I grew up, like, craving... I just wanted someone that looked like me. Like, that's really it. And What were people like towards you in school? Did you face any sort of... 
discrimination in any way or just feel singled out? (laughs) Yeah, I was definitely singled out. I didn't, I think, you know what, when I think back at it now, it was um, inadvertent racism. And I say inadvertent is because the my classmates, the parents of my classmates, my teachers, they were not equipped to understand me. Like they didn't have the tools mm-hmm. to understand, you know, having a student of color. They just didn't. Like, you know, they were just like, you know, they would explain certain experiences and have these references that just wasn't my life, you know, it was just very different and they didn't have the tools to understand me and I didn't have the tools to understand mm-hmm. them. And then of course throw my parents into the mix and it was just you know, you just kind of end up being a little bit of a loner. And I am a loner because of it. Like mm-hmm. naturally I'm I'm totally fine spending time on my own because of my early experiences. And it's it's inadvertent racism in that they didn't have like they didn't understand what being an Indian was like there was a lot of like confusion with Native American and South Asian mm. and I was also like eight I can't sit there and explain to them the subcontinent they're the ones who are supposed to be teaching me that like it's not right. that's not my job but it ended up being my job so I feel like kids that have had similar experiences to me you either go one of two ways you either really go gung-ho for your culture and wanting to know more about where you come from and your roots or you just try to assimilate I realized I wasn't gonna assimilate because Mm -hmm. I wasn't accepted I don't I I don't want to necessarily route it to just my skin color I think a lot of it is just what like everything from what we were watching at home on the weekends, which was Malayalam movies, I'm South Indian, and the food that I ate, like there was no relatable points. Like we had Mm -hmm. no shared experiences. I wasn't on the soccer league or any of these things where even my parents could be like, oh, let's meet these other parents with these kids. What type of people did you end up being friends with? I really didn't have too many friends until like middle school. Um, And that's because there was like two other Pakistani girls from the other school district that came to our middle school. So I was like globbed onto them. I was like, (laughs) all right, these people look like they were like from my area. Um, I have most of my friends. So my 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 parents, I grew up uh, Indian Catholic. So every weekend, Mm -hmm. every Sunday, we went for church service at the Indian Catholic Church. And those were my earliest friends. And Mm -hmm. um, I was also a dancer. I did Bharanatyam, which was a form of classical dance from the South. Oh, you had strong legs. Yeah. How did, wait, but how did you do that there? Was, was so we there, drove. Was it it was, so or? most of the Indians in Illinois, they live in the northern north suburbs of Chicago. My parents decided ended up in the south suburbs. <laughs> so it was just like a geographical error at that point. Um, <laughs> we ended up where there were no brown people, but most of my uh, friends growing up lived up north and that was like an hour away from us so we would that's where the Indian stores were that's where like everything mm. everything that was brown that was popping in Chicago was over there and we were out here in the cornfields which I still haven't fully unpacked the reasoning behind that but um 
we just drove. So it like our weekends were like spent in the car, like driving to dance class or driving to church. And my parents were very active in the community. So like my formative years in terms of like friendships, none of my friends went to school with me. They're the ones I saw on the weekends and we had like sleepovers and stuff. It wasn't like a big school was like. I just kind of changed school into like that's my, me time and then weekends was like social time. I relate to that a lot. Like you end up having like like I think it's almost to a benefit for you because the people who end up staying kind of friends with the people that they had in school never really get to branch out and see yeah. beyond it whereas you were pushed into a completely different area are able to absorb that culture and that one and kind of take the best personalities and best things that you can from both worlds. Yeah, I think that's why, uh, you know, I'm grateful for it now because it's made me be very easy in any environment I'm put into. I'm comfortable anywhere. You know, I've accepted the fact that I'm always going to stick out. Like, it's just, mm -hmm. it is what it is. And I also now, the irony of it all is I now live in the whitest part of Long Island, too. So mm -hmm. this is where we've put down roots. But you know what? I'm embracing it. And it helps because we have a lot of, very very nice woke white people that try desperately to make us their friends because they need like people of color in their oh circles oh my god but... you have to try my tikka masala recipe i swear <laughs> no barbara i will not thank you yeah, have a good day <laughs> I, I call not. it i i call it ignorance not arrogance yes because they just mm -hmm. i'm not like some people get the wrong idea and i think the opposite um environment and upbringing can have a negative effect too, where you just are never how you're saying you're so comfortable mm -hmm. in any environment. Some people get very uncomfortable. And there's, I don't know if I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but you don't, you don't hate the people that you grew up with. That was just the circumstance. And you're saying yourself that, um, you know, they just didn't know how to really relate to you. You didn't know how to relate to them. Yeah, and that's why I call it inadvertent racism because I don't think it it was never malicious. It was just out of lack of knowledge, right? And the kid is not the one who's has the responsibility to educate the adults in the room. That's just not something that's my job, you know? And that's just something that I know as an adult. I mean, that took yeah. that takes time for you to get over and understand and fully empathize with how you grew up and the experiences you had, right? For sure. Um, yeah. We kind of have to be like these ambassadors <laughs> for our entire yeah. country yeah. or religion. Yeah. And I, I'm just thinking when you mentioned that, I'm thinking back to when I was a kid. I made up so much stuff that I had no idea about my religion, about <laughs> oh, my country, yeah. about yeah, all same. types of things. Same. Because I felt like, oh, they're asking me this. And I was like, for example, if someone's like, oh, so like during Ramadan, like you can't eat this. And I'm like, no, like, it's just, like, a choice. Like, if I wanted to, I could eat it right now. Just, like, trying to fit the, the yeah. best, the best. And they're like, okay, we'll eat it. Yeah. Eat it right now. And I'm just like, okay, who cares? And I'll for, eat it. And just for like, us, the best ones would be like, oh, you don't celebrate Christmas? And we'd be like, no, we have two Christmases. And it's basically two yeah. Eats. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, sure. it's so interesting because, like, I grew up celebrating Christmas. My family is Christian. Mm -hmm. And so um, also, like, a lot of the folks that I knew were also other in Malayali Christians. I There wasn't a huge Muslim population and there wasn't a huge Hindu population. So just exposure That's rare, was, though, it, to have a group of Indian Christians, like, in so close. Yeah, I mean, we're a minority, but we are 
we're a minority back home, but in the mm-hmm. states, like numbers wise, we're actually a majority. Um, yeah. Because you know, immigration and the seventies mm-hmm. and all that jazz. One but, of my homegirls um, lived in Maryland, and she was our only friend in our whole group that was Indian Christian. And there's like very like few people that we knew just generally in the brown community. But she moved to Texas. And there's like a huge community there apparently. Yeah, and there's a huge community. Hundreds there. and hundreds and hundreds of people that she was just relating to all of a sudden. It was really cool yeah. to watch that for her. It's uh it's interesting because um now I don't have as big of a circle. Mainly ever since I moved to New York, it's a lot more of a mixed bag of Indians that you meet. Um most of the people that run in my circles are Muslim and are usually Pakistani or Bengali or Bangladeshi. So it's it's sort of a mixed bag. But yeah, growing up like that was the bulk of my experience. But yeah, I mean, I think that's why I wanted to get out. And so at 18, I got into a program at NYU and it allowed mm-hmm. me to spend my freshman year abroad. Um, mm-hmm. NYU had a campus in Florence, Italy, and I was like, sign me up. That's where I'm going, and graduation happened, I was out of there. Um, And that's kind of where my story changed. Up until that point, I really wanted to be a diplomat. I wanted to travel, mainly because I wanted to travel, and I love languages, and I watched World News Tonight with Peter Jennings every day of my life, and uh, it just, that was like my goal. I wanted to sign up for the Foreign Service. That's a lot to know at that age, though, like... um I guess maybe that alone time gave you uh, space to maybe watch TV, read books. Like, what what was it that you just know that you want to go and at least head towards some direction? Most of us, I think, we're just trying to figure out in our college years. What yeah, we I mean, when you're a loner as a kid, you have to find solace somewhere. And for me, it was books. I was a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I still am a the reader, vocab. but I've had to sw- switch over to audiobooks <laughs> because of time. But I was a reader and um, all of the books that, I'll, you know, you guys were talking about my vocabulary earlier. And I always say it's because I read Shakespeare too young. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> the, I can see that. How, how does I a, can see that. How does a young person want to read? What made you want you know, to read that? It's just have you like when you're like, I've, I remember the first time I picked up. Uh, Shakespeare. It wasn't Romeo and Juliet. It was actually Juliet's. Uh, it was Julius Caesar, um, mm-hmm. and I couldn't make sense of what was being said. But so I started reading it out loud, and you know Shakespeare writes an iambic pentameter, and just the sound of it, like as you said it, I just really loved that. I fell in love with that. I don't know. It's really wait. Strange. I've never heard like, somebody say that out loud, but like I thought that that's crazy. Yeah. I used to it's like, like enjoy like, and I would I would have to also say it out loud to understand it. I couldn't. Like, yeah, that's the friend. that's the thing about Shakespeare and like a lot of like Irish poets. Like I just read too many of the Romantics way too young. It's it's forever left its mark on my <laughs> vernacular. But um, you know that's really where I learned how to dream and where my imagination started. You know, it started with books. I wasn't like, I, this is, this makes me sound so pretentious, but I actually didn't really watch television until I went to college and I had roommates who were like, you didn't see friends. Like we need to binge watch this. And you know, they introduced me to that world, but it wasn't like 
something that... You're not missing out on anything if you didn't watch Friends. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Good on you. I was missing out on the West Wing, though. I will tell you that. Like, I discovered West Wing in college, and I wish I watched it as I was growing So you had, like, up. no but, yeah. interest watching TV or anything, like, growing No, up? I just wasn't... I Like, my parents... I come from a family of film lovers. They would like to be referred to as film lovers. They're such snobs. But um, we grew up watching a lot of Malayalam cinema, which my dad would like to have the entire world know is the root of all Bollywood films. It's like, it's very, like, we come from a culture that loves, like, literature and loves film and plays and um you know live performances is just something as a as a people we really really gravitate towards and really encourage in our kids and stuff like being able to write being able to speak and things like that so we watched a lot of malayalam cinema and malayalam cinema is all about dialogue <laughs> it's like all about speaking it's not like there's like a few like musical numbers but it's just are, are you guys laughing? I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you. Just, <laughs> You're laughing I'm at Hadia and her. Hadia came in for a sorry, second. Sorry. Just, <laughs> you just see her hands flying. It's okay. The viewers didn't get to didn't get a sorry. Didn't get to see it. So okay. it that was, was a little fun was, thing for us to watch. Sorry. Sorry, Leah. It's totally fine. But yeah, so the Malayalam film industry is all about dialogue and good dialogue is all about good writing. So even the stuff that I was exposed to was really just about good writing. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Continue on your, um, story about like, once you got to college, you wanted to be a diplomat and then, you know, you eventually make your way to fashion. Yeah. I was a politics major and, uh, I found myself living in Europe at 18 and, uh, well, I was broke. (laughs) And um, I was a scholarship kid, so most of my tuition and stuff was covered. But the program that we were a part of was designed specifically to make you want to travel. And when you attend a school like NYU or any of those kinds of universities, you will quickly find that a lot of your classmates are very, very affluent and do not need to work and um, are very well traveled and, you know, have like friends in Paris and things like that. And um, she's saying they're rich. Yes. (laughs) They got money for I mean, if they ever watch this, I don't want them to think that I thought they were rich snobs, but they were great, but they had means. So for me to tag along for on all of these trips, I had to come up with some cashola. So I needed a job and the only job I could get was as a waitress at this restaurant in Florence called Acqua del Due, which is still in existence. I looked this up recently and um, I was a terrible waitress, really, really bad, so bad. I hated it every minute of it. And one day, why a towel you know waitress is bringing is? the hot towels? No, like it's just you know carrying the plates and being worried about dropping it. Did I get the order right? I don't know. It just I did not, and like always having to have a smile on your face. Like, what can I get you? I don't want to get you anything. Get it yourself. I don't know. It's just it's it's just uh, it's not cook it it's, yourself. It's not it's not the profession for me. I have so much respect for those who do it and do it so well. But my God, I that was not my place. Um, but one day I was on lunch service and the creative director of Gucci came in for lunch. At that time, their headquarters were right next to the restaurant. It was like downtown Florence, which was like a very like touristy area, but a very posh area. 
Um, she came in with one of her assistants, and um, I spoke pretty well Italian at the time. Now my fluency is pretty gone because I don't keep up with it. But she was basically complaining the whole lunch how she needs an assistant that can write in English and like send emails in English. Ooh. And she was just Holy like, crap. she was just like, I just need like this is ridiculous. I look so dumb all the time. These people keep sending these emails grammatically correct, incorrect or whatever. So I did not know what Gucci was. One, what? <laughs> all I all I heard was. I didn't know she was the creative director. I just knew her as this woman that's looking for someone who spoke English. That's all wow. I knew. And I was like, I dropped my perfect English. And I was like, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Leah. <laughs> I'm a student at NYU. I speak English very well. And I understand Italian. I can write your emails for you. And I still remember Frida like looked me up and down. She's like, fine, come Monday. So I quit. Like after their table was cleared, I quit. I was like, okay, thank you so much for this experience. I'm out. I got a new job. I went back. And I told my roommate, who Erzan still makes fun of me for this, and she's she's Turkish, but she comes from a very like very affluent background. And she's like Leah, and she knows I know nothing about Gucci at that time. My wardrobe consisted of my high school club T-shirts and jeans. <laughs> And that's what I thought was fashionable. And I had like a couple of dresses that I always wore these like really ugly cardigans that I always found. I don't know Ooh, why I did that, yeah. but it was that like was, the it vibe. Was, it was a for, thing back then. Yeah, it was, it was a thing. Then. And like you pair dresses with leggings. Remember when people used to do that? Oh, so The bad. leggings so with so like bad. the like uh, mid-thigh dresses and then a yes. long cardigan that matches yeah, the Yeah, long cardigan. The and it was always an empire waist. It was doing nobody any favors. <laughs> like, it was just so bad. And she was like, Leah, if you're going to work at Gucci, you should probably get some clothes. <laughs> and I was like, well, I have no money, so, like, just give me something to borrow. And so I borrowed something of hers. It was like, it was something basic. It was like a white shirt and black pants. And I showed up to work, and uh, <laughs> everyone there was, like, dressed to the nines. Like, you, everyone's in stilettos, and, you know, it's Italian, so it's very, like, bodycon outfits. And I was just like, mm. what is this situazione? And, um, yeah, that's how I started in fashion. I started off just transcribing notes and emails and sending them to her U.S. counterparts, but Frida was such a cool boss. She really was about teaching. She, at heart, is was a teacher. So she would always make sure that her assistants knew exactly what we were doing, why were we doing it. And, um, you know, gradually, uh, I learned everything from her. Like, we used to visit all of the mills together, fabric stores together, and she just taught... Uh, me everything about fabrics and cuts and fits and sitting in on fittings and it was like a crash course and I fell in love with it and uh, Frida's the one who realized I had an eye because she start she would always ask us about if we were sitting in on a fitting what we thought and I mean I would just say whatever I felt instinctually and she a lot of times agreed and that's when she realized she was like you know you have a knack for this you should look you know you should think about this seriously and I just like fell in love with it It was such a crazy experience I learned so what movie is this you <laughs> started working for Gucci what's 
from what Shakespeare? I mean, plays? I was I was an assistant, you guys. I mean, I graduated up to a styling assistant, and um, she recommended me. Jeez. She's like, you a need to learn more about. A styling assistant for Gucci, like yeah. it was just an assistant, guys. Like just a, for yeah. Gucci in Italy. Yeah, like. in Italy. Yes, in Italia. It was it was good times when you're 18 and you have no responsibilities. Those are those are good days. Um, and I was very like. I was very much a fresh face because a nobody looked like me. B I didn't I didn't have any of the hang-ups that they had. Like I had no pre- preconceived notions or understandings about anything. So I think it allowed me to be authentic and that worked in my favor. Like it was one of those things where I didn't know anything. So you know, I can always chalk it up to oh, sorry, didn't know. Like <laughs> and just kept it kept uh kept it moving um but then she recommended me for a job at chanel she was like you need to know couture if you're really gonna do this um so i worked for chanel couture in paris my that summer after freshman year and i worked with most of the middle eastern clients that's when i realized all of the european houses need the east to stay alive that's who's buys their stuff that's who spends the most money that is their most loyal customer base like they don't have the old clientele of like european aristocrats anymore because nobody exists you know so it was a really eye-opening experience to see how that world worked and learning about it and watching like carl lagerfeld at work i mean i i was able to see what he does for clients, how he sketches and how he drapes and how he fits. Like, it was a great experience, you know, it taught me so much. So, you know, I know a lot of people- That's incredible though, that like you basically were not looking for this. Uh, It kind of, you know, fell in your lap and then you took the opportunity and then now you're going on, starting at Gucci, going over to Chanel, um, you said that you've also done Vogue and Vanity Fair. Yes. Um, how did all of these opportunities just continue to line <laughs> up? And, and like, what was it like, you know, getting not only yourself, but your family and everyone on board with like, this is, is this what I'm doing the rest of my life? Yeah, I think it was really difficult for them to understand it. Cause I think I had prepped them for one life. Like they were used, they had known that, you know, she probably won't be in Chicago. She probably will be living in some foreign country, you know? Okay, cool. They had, they had a few years to like understand what I just said. Then all of a sudden I threw this fashion thing at them, which I remember my mom being like, but you dress so terrible. Like, what? (laughs) And I think a lot of the folks that know me from growing up, like, to this day, they find it crazy that I had anything to do with fashion. I'm telling you guys, like, some of these uh, moments I had growing up is, like, so cringe. But, you know, it was always in me because my mom is incredibly stylish, and she, like, she taught me the art of dressing up. And, you know, now as an adult, when I like think back to my life, I realize that the reason I have my eye, the reason I, you know, took to it so well was because of how my mom was, you know, she had impeccable taste and she didn't approach dressing the same way as all aunties that I knew at that time did. And she was someone that always turned heads when she walked into a room and she did it very simply. She was not like a flashy dresser. She just had, she too had an eye, right? Like that's when you learn like style, you're born with it. You know, either you have it or you don't. I hate saying that, but 
No, but you can lo- tell Leah because now that you're explaining all this, it makes a lot more sense. But looking at the things that you've done, it's not like, okay, like I'm just going to match colors and like make it go. Or like I'm going to keep it like this is supposed to have like um, a like Bollywood flair. So let me put like all this jewelry on and like put it all on. Like you have a yeah. good way of syncing all of the worlds together and putting it together in a way that's so unique that honestly not a lot of people would think of that way and then it works so well like it is so like aesthetically pleasing to see it oh i appreciate that thank you i try to you know always be aware of balance that's like my number one rule when it comes to styling i feel like you know there's i'm i say this all the time too like I'm very old school in how I do, how I approach styling. There's a whole new generation of stylists who are incredible. Some are incredible, some are not that great. But there's this whole generation that, you know, has emerged that they didn't go through the things that I've gone through. They haven't learned from the folks that I've learned from, which I acknowledge is a total privilege of mine because not many of us get those opportunities or those doors open to us. And, you know, it was open to me. I took it and I ran with it. But I think there's a huge difference in how we approach things and how we approach style. And when I say that in terms of style, you're either born with it or you're not. The one thing I love about that is it has nothing to do with how much money you were born with. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it. It's, that's what I love about style. There's something so uniquely fair about that, that, you know, I didn't come from like knowing what a Birkin is. Like I had no idea, but I know how to nicely wrap a scarf because my mom used to have one. Like, it's just, that had nothing to do with our bank account, had everything to do with how your eye was. And I just, I just like, I just like that component of style that's just something that- i think also you're not you know you're saying that you're either born with it or not i think that's that's true to a degree but also i know that from my experience with um you know for example my sister and i um we just do things a certain way because my dad uh he has a very artistic background and he's well traveled but it's that sort of um education that he it's like we might know how something is supposed to look but he knows the reason it's supposed to look that way. Right. So he knows that, oh, this is, you know, German architecture or like this is Italian fashion or whatever it might be. Um, and now as his kids, we'll just kind of copy the things as you're saying with your mother um, because aesthetically it feels correct. Right. And growing up, we'd always like, you know, we might do something a certain way in our rooms and my dad would come in and just you'd be like no no, that's wrong (laughs) yeah like it the table needs to be on this there needs to be this much space between this and the window and like all types of things that we just like it was just embedded in us yeah so the combination of like yeah you can be born because because my brother he's like a total hype beast so he's not (laughs) i mean he would say that he has an aesthetic he doesn't um but in the same household like uh my sister and i we think differently because we take what my dad says um from his educational background but then also like growing up with that sort of eye yeah um and applying it to the things that we're used to and we grow up experiencing yeah um i love that you said that because you know i don't know if i i know some of you follow me on instagram but i've been starting this whole like gardening journey and um it's very time consuming because you have to like plan it out but i like i'm like plan it out plant it out 
both. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was, like, I was, like, explaining something to Denny about, like, dahlias. I had just read something about that. I was, like, Denny, so, like, there's this, this. He's, like, he's, like, why are you, like, so into this? And I was, like, and I was, like, thinking about it. I'm, like, because my mom loved doing this as well. Like, I always, we always had fresh flowers in the house. Like, we always, like, my mother-in-law always talks about this because I am a stickler for having fresh flowers in the house. It's just, a, it's just a very small, simple thing. It's not something that we buy. It's my just like go that. out into the backyard and collect whatever I see and bring it back in. But just that simple thing, like, really just brightens up a room, right? And that's not just, that's not something that I just woke up wanting to do one day. It's just something I saw constantly as a kid and understood like, oh, this does like improve your mood. It does elevate. Same thing of like when someone comes over, I ins or even if it's just like a, a birthday or something, and it's just us in the house. I still insist on setting a table because that's what my mom did because her reasoning was, you know, it's something that's special for you. Why do you have to wait for a guest or like the Pope to come over for us to use the good China? The good China, I paid <laughs> for it. We're using it, you know? Yeah. So it's like the same philosophy of like just doing those simple things just for the sake of beauty. Like, I think that's kind of something that I've, I've taken from my mom and there's, you know, she loved flowers, but like, her knowledge of flowers was limited and there was no Google back then. But now I'm able to like take it to the next level because I have Google and I have all of these like resources at my disposal and I can learn about like, well, you know, people, I always say I like to fig I like to dissect Pinterest. Like you like see all these things on Pinterest, but then it's like, well, where is this from? And then I'll spend like hours trying to figure this out. And that's how I figured out all of the flowers I plant. This is a tangent. We can cut this part out, but... <laughs> I say this all to say no. Pinterest uh, algorithm is underrated. I will say. Oh that. my god! Once you get the they are like brilliant. Pinterest was Pinterest had that TikTok algorithm before TikTok's great algorithm. Yeah, and it's amazing. Once you once you have a certain aesthetic that you like, oh, Pinterest oh, is doing your homework. It is like I have discovered more paintings and vintage Indian photographs in the last like six months because of Pinterest because it somehow figured it out and every time I open the app I'm like oh my god where is this picture from like it's just I mean half of these pictures I found on Pinterest like I just love them (laughs) I mean minus this one that one's mine but the rest is like I just love it I print it out like it's it's amazing what they do yeah um but okay so you had like all this great experience um, working for these huge brands, and then you go on to eventually start your own yeah. West by East. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that. What's the meaning behind that? How did you uh, eventually start that? So West by East really came about. So it's me and my co-founder Tanya. Tanya and I actually grew up together. We danced together, and um, our moms worked together in Chicago. From Chicago. Yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, but we weren't friends growing up. Tanya was my bully growing up. <laughs> she Whoa. loves no way. She loves every when I tell this story, but like we were in the same dance class and she was just this like chubby terror and I was this like nerd who like had very poor social skills. And so it was not a match. The movie continues. <laughs> it was it was a it was a classic story, but um we both like went on our separate life journeys and she also ended up getting into fashion as well. And we both 
came back to Chicago around the same time where we were both figuring out our next steps and we knew we wanted to do something. So both of our backgrounds are in luxury fashion. So when we first started West by East, the goal was to bring more Indian designers to the U.S. and expand that market. But then... As we started working on this, a lot of our family and friends were starting to get married and they would be calling us up and being like, hey man, I don't know where to get my bridesmaids outfits. I don't know where to get my wedding. Sorry, like, can you help me? And we'd always be like, oh, we're so sorry, but we only deal with designers, so we can't help you because your budget isn't designer. Oh, so terrible now that I think about it. One of, my, one of Tanya's girlfriends is still mad that we weren't doing this when she got married. Um, then I got engaged. And mm. though your girl was slinging Sabiasachi lehengas, she did not have Sabiasachi budget. So um, that's when I realized, and Tanya and I both kind of realized, oh, there really isn't so many options in the States. It was either one of two extremes. It was either super cheap crapola that you got on one of those websites or the other end where it's either super overpriced old stuff that you find at your local Desi stores or you get some aunt in India and get someone to bring it over that, again, you wouldn't have seen, and it's just, like, through WhatsApp. Or there's the, I call them the WhatsApp tailors, the WhatsApp <laughs> tailors of the world, where you, like, are texting them, and they're just like, Madam G, it'll be another three weeks, and you're just like, okay, this is not going to work yeah, out for us. Not professional. Not professional. Not according to any schedule. No, and there's no transparency. There's no, like, it's very stressful venture. So... Because um, prior to starting West by East, I had been doing this personal shopping business and I was living in India and I had wonderful relationship with the designers, but I also had wonderful relationship with the tailors. And a lot of the big houses work with subcontractors for like smaller orders. So I reached out, we decided to sort of recreate the experience that we used to experience on the luxury side for everyone which is getting a illustration of what your design is going to look like, getting fabric samples, getting trim samples, and just picking it, and then getting measured and getting your outfit made. So we tested it out with my wedding. Um, we made all of the bridesmaids and groomsmen's outfits. The groomsmen's wore all black Nehru suits, and the bridesmaids wore black brocade lehengas. I didn't have color in my wedding. I just didn't want it and uh, it was like 1920s great gatsby themed so that oh, snap. that was the vibe i'm gonna have to see pictures of that up I'll, I'll share some pictures but that was the vibe which uh my mother and my mom gave me like the silent treatment for the week of my wedding because she was like you picked black for your bridesmaids that is wild that's, that's an it's intense bold. choice but very it was an like, intense respectful choice. because that's like very unique yeah, but you know what? In American weddings, like black is so classic. It's only in our weddings that we see it as. I get there's a there's a bad connotation, mm. I guess. But also, like, know. who looks bad in black? Exactly, no one. Like, <laughs> no one looks, looks bad in black. And it's my. It was also Denny's like favorite color. And you know, we did the wedding in Chicago, and he let me sort of do everything. So I gave him the black, and I'm like, this is this is our giant compromise. Um, but yeah, so we started it with my wedding. We tested out all the kinks and then we took it from there. So basically we provide custom clothing for all of your 
uh, cultural needs. Um, we don't like to just box it in for South Asians because we would love to do it for all other cultures, but it's basically for folks like us who come from two cultures and want to represent both during their milestone events, but don't really have the means to do so. And we provide a fully digital process. Um, you get to also kind of experience what it's like if you were to get a wardrobe from like a couture house, you know, it's a very similar process. You get digital illustrations, you get fabric swatches, and you get to pick it from the comfort of your house and things wow. are then straight delivered to you. You know, it was all yeah. about like removing the stress of it and bringing back the fun of it, you know, because... I'm sure you've seen like a lot of um, these south asian brands and just like a lot of uh entrepreneurs in general pop up on social media with their own brands um your experience and your journey says that that whole process of going through the pros um and literally getting to use their resources helped you launch your own brand and make it successful do you think that that was necessary for you to get to where you were and you know what are your thoughts about people that skip out on that process or don't have access to that process? Well, I think it was necessary for me in order to do the work that we do at West by East. You know, West by East is fully built on our clients trusting our knowledge, right? It has nothing to do with clients. I mean, clients trust our taste, but for the most part, whatever we create, it's what you designed, right? It's not what me and Tanya designed. It's you've come to us, you're like, hey, I want to do this in this color and we help you figure it out. You know, we'll tell you if this color might be a little too crazy. We'll tell you if this fabric is maybe let's switch it to this. But for the most part, West by East relies on our knowledge. And if we didn't have all of these experiences, if we didn't learn from these outlets, then West by East is kind of useless because we wouldn't yeah. really be doing anything meaningful. We would probably be leading you astray, right? Like if you don't know anything about, if you don't know the difference between an A-line and a circle skirt, then you shouldn't be in this business. That's just how I view it because- But okay, so that's that's education though. Are your credentials as important? Like does the, is the customer aware of the credentials as well? I think for the most part our customers are and I do think credentials are important. I do tend to, there are a lot of brands that pop up and I do tend to look at the credentials, but I feel though, feel as though, and this is gonna be a little bit of a controversial statement, but I feel like, um, Every day I see like someone who just woke up one day and decided that they're stylish enough to have a label. And I have a huge problem with that philosophically and ethically because I've seen what it takes to be a great designer. Like, and I have a lot of close friends who are incredible designers who I have the utmost respect for because they know their craft. They like, they studied it, they bled for it, like it is what they were put on this earth to do. And because of my level of respect for the, and I'll call it an art form because I do see it as an art form of fashion designing, I personally find it highly disrespectful. I, I mean, I'm sure these are all lovely folks and they probably have, well, some of them don't have style, but it is what it is. Um, <laughs> Is it but, style you know, subjective? 
I, she coming for next? No, I don't think style is subjective. I think personal Ooh. preference is subjective, but okay. good style is good style. There's no... That's universal? I think there is standards. So I That's feel like... That's the Gucci talking. <laughs> that is... It is. But, I mean, I don't think it's about... Like, what I'm if there's somebody, for example, right? And they just are like a regular person. They have a feel for fashion. They start it. They don't have a lot of experience in it. What are you suggesting that they do if they really did have like a feel for fashion? If they truly loved fashion and this is something that they want to do and they feel compelled, the first thing I would have them do is learn how to dress other body types. And I'm not talking about mm. designing something for body types. I'm saying take your girlfriend that's a different size and different body shape than you and take her shopping and see if she likes the outfit you picked. Mm. Because to me, that's the true test of whether or not you have the chops. Anybody mm. with a good sense of style and a good sense of dressing themselves can decide that, oh, let me create a collection purely based on what I know that looks good on me. That mm. anyone can do. You can do it tomorrow, Amber. It would, it would be fine. But the true test of it is, is can someone else wear it and look good? That to me is like the number one thing that's missing out there, just that technical knowledge of what works for body types. Like, um, most so that, of that requires like a certain level of studying, essentially, like maybe under somebody else. Yeah, I just think it just requires a certain level of technical knowledge. Like you need to understand what cuts are gonna work for certain body types, what fabrics are gonna work for certain body types. Like you just have to have that knowledge. And you also need to have some knowledge of construction. Like I can't sketch, <laughs> I'm not like a sketcher, but I understand how something is constructed. Like I understand how a blazer is made. I understand the components that have to go into it. And I understand like, if someone comes to me, like uh, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Usually clients come to us with like some, crazy outfit that they saw that they want to recreate. So we don't have like the the pattern for it or nothing. I have to simply look at a picture and figure it out. So if you have mm -hmm. no knowledge of construction, you would have no right. way of deciphering that, right? Yeah. So I just feel like it's great that people want to design things and we need more designers in the world, but I feel like you have to take hubris out of it and Put the go time and in. Put the time in. I feel like sure. nowadays, because of social media, you know, there is this sort of is instantaneous nature to it. And there are some people that never became formally trained and became sensations. But those people were born with style and they were going to make it regardless. Like, there's a few makeup artists like that. Like, Kylie Jenner's makeup artist Ariel is a good example of that. Like, he was like a 17 year old living his life in Texas, but this was what he was meant to do. And he got noticed and he made it, but not everybody is Ariel and not everyone is that, you know, like it's just one of those things where, I mean, it's a mixed bag. I usually can tell whether or not if someone has the chops and um, whether someone is just doing it just because they think that they can do it, you know. Mm. You, you call it an art form, and, and as, you know, fellow artists, I think that 
Shamir and I, I know we have many conversations about this where we're scrolling through social media and we see somebody pop up in our world or in in a in in some sort of world that we admire um and we often question ourselves and question this person's intent and experience and how the world is moving so for example in music right you used to have to be able to read music to play music and the more we advance i mean at this point right now, Leah, you can pick up your phone and you can produce a full song by itself and it's going to sound good. Right. Because there's algorithms and tools certain and uh, instruments. Yeah. tools that are just made so that you can just click things and you will make a unique song that nobody has ever made before and it'll sound like a professional song. Right. So the the question comes up of when it comes to music um making tiktoks which like you know filmmakers and video editors that spend so much time learning these programs um can't make something as viral or now we have these fashion brands that you can literally pull up um and we do this sometimes where we pull up something and just slap our merch on it and it's as it's as simple as it looks but what's the difference between the people that understand, um, you know, the essentials that go into this craft versus people that are following um, the basic uh, formula for how it gets made. And I think you see that in the long run. I think that that's what we often discuss is like, I'll be like, bro, like, you know, these people, they, they're getting millions of views or whatever. Like, you know, this is so successful. And I don't know if they even mean to be right. that way or if they even care. Like, I care for my art. I really love it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, similarly to how, how you're passionate about certain things. And, and, these, and some people, they're, they're making money. Yeah. And they know that it's an easy way to make money. And they're, they're like, they don't really care what they're making, but they're making money. Yeah. Um, I think that there's, there's a frustration like a huge... with that. There's, like, this huge push for people, especially of the internet, to be, like, entrepreneurs. And and that doesn't require the background of whatever subject they're trying to be an entrepreneur at. But what I'm trying to say is they don't, they don't have, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, if you're an entrepreneur and this is your way of making money, like, we shouldn't care about it. It just rubs us the wrong way. And... And sometimes it's just about like, um, I think for other people's consideration, um, I'm aware mm-hmm. of what most people are doing and and how they go about doing it. Most people, when they go through, they're like, oh, this is my favorite singer. This is my favorite video editor. This is my favorite uh, designer. And they might not know that like um, this person is not necessarily educated in that. Right. And I think that. I don't. I'm not. I don't have like an answer or solution. No, no, I'm just no. explaining the thought process and the frustration that comes along mm-hmm. with. Because I know that when people hear what you have to say about like, oh no, like, you know, not everybody has the chops and this and that. That there are people that will listen and say like, well, I'm doing it though. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm just I think to that's a good that balance that between be both of you guys. Like how Leah mentioned, you know, there's something that was like innate in her with her eye for fashion. And Frasher saying that like, you know, you had to, you kind of took things from your father and you observed it and you really put it to another level for what would work for you. I think that like on both of those scales, they're both 
like ways to go about it. I think the biggest thing is that with the push of people being online and having their own brand and having to do something so big without truly knowing what it means to do that thing, that's when it comes across as not genuine. That's when it comes across as fake. That's when it comes across as them not actually knowing their stuff. It's personal. Right. Well, I agree with Leah that I think that there there is definitely to a degree people are born with mm-hmm an artistic touch and aesthetic or they're not Mm -hmm. or they like at least pick up certain things it's just about going forward um if these things are going to even matter um because everybody has access to be able to pull off all of these things i mean that's what you said though is that like you can tell what the intention is like you can tell like okay you know what this doesn't seem like it's Real and I think that people, there may maybe not everybody will realize that it's maybe not as genuine or there's not like a lot of like love and passion put behind it. But there will be people who see through it, people who are passionate about that thing. Like Leah, you could you could go on a website and what if there's an East uh, West by East that is literally like a factory, like fast fashion, where you just um, you don't need you in the equation anymore, and it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Like, I mean, that might be the same or similar thing, well, but it's definitely going to affect you. I fully understand your frustration because I too am a creator, and I work really hard on coming up with the concepts that I come up with, and I see and I. And I know this to be a fact, but I see people, they'll take my ideas and do like a, I call it the Forever 21 version of it. (laughs) And because they have a larger platform, they get all of the clout for it. And I'm constantly in that state of frustration myself. And it does affect true creatives because I feel like it stifles, like it like, it makes you hold yourself back a little bit. It's like having something stuck in your craw. That's what it feels like. It's like this frustration of like, I did all of this work. I have all of this skill. And then this mofo gets all the attention. <laughs> like what? That's that's like a constant feeling I have. But then there's the flip side of it where if it weren't for these platforms, we wouldn't be able to put our work out there and make it as access- mm. as accessible and perhaps get that opportunity one day for ourselves. And you might still have yeah. to be at Gucci. Well, yeah. yeah. In in If this was still how it was in 2008, I would have still had to stay in that world in order to do anything and yeah. move forward, right? But because of this world, it's... I mean, it, it is what happens when you have a democratic system, right? Yeah. There's going to be winners and losers, but it's the fact that the opportunity exists yeah. equitably. Yeah. That's always the goal, right? When I, when I look at those situations, I'm like, oh, maybe let's say I have like great art, but I have to learn those other skills. Like they're much better at, you know, maybe marketing it. Maybe they're much better at, you know, doing all these other skills. And that in itself is an art form that they might be better at. Yeah, that's definitely true. I see a lot of brands that don't produce the same level of quality or don't provide the same level of customer service as we do, but they are so good at marketing themselves, like Mm -hmm. shamelessly good at marketing themselves that I'm constantly like, that's what I got to do. Like, I just can't have all of these holdups that I have. Like, 
I feel like sometimes creatives have like we have this like code of ethics within us that we follow because we want to preserve the purity of what it is that we do because we respect what we do right and we love what we do and if we were to just cheapen it in some way by engaging in the nonsense that you see out there simply for getting those numbers we're not going to feel good about what we put out because it's like i did it because i know that if i do settled you know that's just how the space is and i'm constantly battling it myself like you know, uh, a lot of my girlfriends, I have this like group of girlfriends that I talk to every single day that we're like each other's cheerleaders and we're kind of all doing the same thing. So we kind of understand each other's frustrations when, you know, you're in this creative space. Um, and I like posted a reel. So I started like sketching during the lockdown, which took me years to have the courage to do. I know it sounds crazy, but a lot of it is because guys once you see like Karl Lagerfeld sketch I just feel like I have no right doing it like it's just and he's a problematic figure of fashion people do not come for me in the comments I am aware like I know you know there's there's a lot of baggage there we can unpack it later but the man was good at what he did and you can't take that away from him it's it's just the truth of it and you know i i've always had this hang up of like pursuing something for myself because i'm just like i'm not at that level or i see my other fashion designer friends who i think are geniuses and are just so incredibly talented like i'm not at their level i can't do that i can style i can put together a cute look i can do that but am i really at that level and like during the lockdown because everything was kind of like shut down you get a lot of i got a lot of time to like it, it wasn't like go, go, go all the time. Like we, I had so many like styling projects and stuff and everything kind of quieted. So I was like sitting around and like watching Dior and I, this documentary that I watch all the time for like the millionth time. And my husband walked by the screen. He was like, why don't you just do this? You can do this. You can do this. And I'm like, no, you can't. I was like, this is not like, I can't do this. And he's like, you can do this. Just, just try. So I've been like trying to be like open about that journey of like getting over that hang up within my head. Cause it's like, what am I hanging on to all of this? Like purity for Like I should be sharing it. I should be putting myself out there, but it is incredibly frustrating when you see low level crapola being like exalted as like, Oh my God, this is so amazing. But a lot of it is also there isn't that much that brown creatives put out there. We don't have that many visuals out there. Like, where are our, like, reference points? We don't have that. So a lot of us have to create that. So when someone creates something, even if it is, like, low quality, it's still one of the few things that's out there. But, you know, mm. it's hard to find people that see it the same way so I'm very conscientious about who I choose to work with which is why I loved working with Anik Khan and this kind of goes back to the answer to all this even though you see people get that like minute of clout or whatever and develop a following through like sheer luck or through a manipulation of whatever program longevity will never happen for them because if you don't have it you don't have it and it's if your creative source just came out of like either copying someone else or just half-assing it and having it hit off, you will not have longevity. You will not be sustainable because you can't keep that going because it's not in you. 
right? So every time I see someone copying me or I see someone doing something so basic and getting all the thing, I'm I always have to remind They're myself. They're gonna get over it. Longevity, yeah. like when I did Anique's uh, Regardless project, which. I'm having in my obituary that I styled that thing. <laughs> like that was honestly amazing yeah, seeing yeah. that. By the way, when I saw, I didn't even see it through you. I saw it through other people, and I was like, "Wait, Leah!" And then I went on your <laughs> yeah. page, and I was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" And you were in your Edna mode, mode where you're just like dressing up, and you're yeah, like, desi- uh, where I look like a homeless person on awesome. set. <laughs> That's- no, it was incredible seeing that. I was so happy for you. Oh, thank you. I was very happy for myself, but um, I was. Uh, I at at some stage I actually didn't want to do the project. I didn't think I could do it because I was just like, oh "My God, you killed you it!" You know, I'm not. My vibe is not like street. Uh, your girl likes a classical image, you know, give me some 50s couture, give me some gowns. You know, I am not street by personal aesthetic. And most of my work is not that. So when Anique wanted to partner up, I also wasn't sure if I could do it justice because I wanted to do it correct I didn't want it to be like the same tacky thing of like throw a sari blouse with the jeans and sneakers which is like the go-to advice That's I like keep hearing like, it's like I mean first off why the heck would you wear a sari blouse with the jeans like you need some high waist up in there like where are you going with a belly shirt like I just don't understand that but that's neither here nor there um but you know that project like that stands as my legacy. Like, you can you can pretend like you can pretend style all you want, but unless you have something to back it up, like unless you have legacy, unless you have longevity, it doesn't matter, right? So there are people that will always try to like. It's just the nature of it, right? I feel like also our community too is unfortunately not good at supporting each other which is why i like make it my personal model in life of if one of us wins then all of us wins because you don't see this many wins right you don't see this many people like us in these spaces so you know if someone is producing something of quality and they they want to do it right then you know you have to support it but you know at the end of the day that's that's what sustains me knowing that no no one can have my brain like no one can have my eye the same way no one can have your ears no one can have your skill set it is yours and, i love that you know no one can take that away from you right so i think uh, it's so important also that you that you say supporting other people of quality you you use that word quality and i think that Sometimes we get that mixed up of just supporting anything yeah. that somebody mm-hmm. that looks like us is putting out there. Yeah. But it's important that it's of quality. Yeah. And, you know, that Nourish. and even the person that you decided to work with is not somebody who is just making music and, you know, is trying to go viral. This is somebody who we've seen their work is there's a lot that gets put into it. Yeah. Love it or hate it. There's real sort of love of music and culture being put into it. Yeah. Yeah. And you decided to collaborate with somebody who equally appreciates um, their art I mean he was not the first artist to approach me he won't be the last I've said no to a lot of people and I said yes to Anik because a I love his music but b the way the approach happened and how I I didn't really know him I I knew a 
his manager, Ani, and I, like, we, we have a bit of a relationship. Now I think we're friends. I'll throw that out there. Ani, we're friends. Okay. Um, but uh, I didn't know him at all. All I knew was what was presented, and I loved what was presented because it wasn't the same typical thing that I kept seeing. It didn't give me brown F-boy vibes. It gave me someone who was thoughtful, who had a true raw experience that he channeled into his art form. And he was truly doing it for the culture, for the representation, but he wasn't being cheesy about it. You know, sometimes I feel some folks, you know, milk that stereotype, that cheesiness for the views and just because they think that this is what they have to do. But I don't see too many people that put out thought and I feel like you guys are some of the folks that do that, where you're very thoughtful and intentional in what you're doing, in what you're satirizing, right? There's, it's not the same old, same old. There's, there's, there's a depth there. There's an analysis there, right? It's not just, oh, let me do this because I feel like I can be famous in five minutes, right? You know. And it's cool that you, that's something that you want to associate yourself with. Will you go on um, in the future to possibly do more uh, music videos or if you ever had an opportunity with films or anything like that to style sets? Ooh, I mean, I'm retired, guys. Styling is is a young girl's game, but... (laughs) If, one music video and retired, <laughs> one and done. Well, I mean, I was retired before the Anik thing. I really spent a lot of my time because, you know, the type of styling I enjoyed was not something that I really had the lifestyle for anymore. Like, I came from, I come from more of a magazine. I worked at Vogue and Vanity Fair, and that's a different type of lifestyle where you're like, go, 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 go. And, you know, I have a home. I have a family. I don't want to do that anymore. So... What I focused on was really just helping out um, up-and-coming South Asian artists, actors, and folks that I believed in and loved and consulting with them and helping them. Because a lot of times, in my experience, these are the folks that labels kind of decide not to dress. It's very hard for them to access clothing and access designers and get the ability to pull pieces for their red carpets or for their music videos like it's not something that our community has access to and we're not seen as we're well now we're seen more but back in the day we weren't seen as a desirable demographic to dress because they're like these are not our customers right but now brands are understanding like we need diversity we need to approach everyone and bring everyone to the table so I wanted to use whatever knowledge I acquired to help uplift those folks because to me that is an important mission and that is something that I am very dedicated to and very very committed to. So when the Anique thing came, I was consulting with like Richard Murjani of Never Have I Ever and helping her like navigate that space and I worked with Nabella Noor. Mm-hmm. and um, a lot of really awesome folks that I love. And I'm very honored to be able to work with them, but that's the kind of work I prefer. Um, if the right movie came along and I had the opportunity to score myself an Oscar, you better believe I'll take that. <laughs> I will that take would that. Be, that would be something. I'll t- that, that would be amazing to, one, get that opportunity, but also... I wouldn't be the um, first, though. That's the only thing that semi-makes me mad. There was already <laughs> an Indian woman, Panu, who won the Oscar for Best Costume Design. I 
forget that was a merchant hey, of Venice. So it can be done. Yeah, it can and, be done. And two, two, to to reiterate your point, nobody with the same mind, hands, ears is going to nobody do it. Nobody has your you so like yeah. you said, nobody has your eyes and nobody has your thoughts and all of that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, this sounds so self indulgent when someone says it back to me. But really no, I, that's my no, mantra. No, it's so it's so relatable yeah. though, because that's you know what th- Whenever we have these talks about the frustration thing, I always come out thinking, you know what? Okay, go ahead. Make it then. Keep keep creating your content. But you're not going to make it how I make it because there's so many ideas that I, it's just – it's impossible to create uh, what I'm thinking. And someone might have your idea and sometimes you – ah. I was thinking that. But they yeah. won't have but your execution. It's not the they same. won't have your execution. No, exactly. Never. Exactly. And I mean um, – yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that's like, I think we all need a way to sustain our creativity because it's a very draining thing on the spirit, right? Like creativity requires fuel. It's a different kind of fuel. It's not like sleep or food, but it's like, I don't know what you guys do, but like for me, like I need to like immerse myself in like art or like I just need to look at something very beautiful and serene. And I'm a big museum person. Uh, if we haven't learned anything in this conversation, please learn there I'm a huge pretentious nerd. It's just, I love, like, because of COVID, I can't do it as much, but thank God for the internet. But, you know, just, I need, I used to go to the Met and just, like, wander for hours just to, like, give myself a reboost of just ideas and, like, a re, like, you need that thing. And, you know, when I see these folks that, like, churn out content all the time, I'm like, dude, how are you doing this? Like, I need, like, I need, like, I can churn out for, like, three weeks and then I need, like, a week off to, like, reset and, like, re-get the juices flowing and watch some of my favorite aesthetic movies and bring it back. But, you know, I just, you just need it. It's just one of those things. Yeah. Um, no, I think that your um, your journey in the fashion uh, field has been absolutely incredible. I know that you said um, that you want to continue to create opportunities for brown people and so quickly i did want to um go over you know you you said that we need some sort of representation in the political sphere so if you don't mind just quickly going over i know it's getting late but um just kind of what you've been doing um in politics why you think it's important um and and you know what your kind of hope is to get out of that that's what you're currently doing right yeah so i mean i work full-time with west bay east and i work full-time for the new york state senate i re-entered politics in 2016 that's kind of when i officially retired from styling um west bay east we were still building it we're not we weren't where we are now which um is great we've grown as a company but I returned to politics after Donald Trump got elected. Up until that point, like most of my fashion time was under the auspicious of Barack Obama. So I felt like most folks in this country uh, lulled into this sense of safety and security that, you know, we wouldn't have a crazy man in the White House and people would not be losing their minds. But uh, 2016 taught me what happens when you lull yourself into complacency and think that you don't have to do your part to make sure this kind of nonsense doesn't happen. 
Politics was always my first love. It is what I went to school for. It's what I thought I would always do. And it's not something I ever lost interest in. But when he got elected and that happened, it really woke something up in me where I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I'm helping create pretty images. That's it. Like, what is the purpose of this? Like, does my life have any meaning? It was a bit of an existential crisis, if you will. But I felt compelled to action. So I restarted or started. I was I didn't really have a career in politics, but I started up as an organizer for campaigns. And um, I helped run a lot of the critical elections in 2018 in New York and helped flip the state legislature as well as helping elect the first Indian American to the New York State Senate. Okay. Um, slow, slow down. How does one go about even I'm OK, so I'm in your sh not well, not in your shoes. I'm in my own shoes. I'm thinking very similar thoughts of. I don't feel like making music right now. I don't feel like doing art. There was, at the time, I think there was like uh, all the protests that were going on. Yeah, the Muslim And band. that, and then just continuing on, you know, year after year up until recently with all the Black Lives Matter protests of just feeling like, what does my art even mean? I don't feel like being funny. I don't feel like creating anything. I'm not doing enough. How do you go from that feeling to literally what you're stating as like, you know, you're working for campaigns and you're actually making real impact. So, you know, I think there's this false conception that you need to have like a law degree or a master's degree to be involved in politics. True. You po don't? You don't. Absolutely not. Oh, okay. I am a college dropout. So, you know, you don't. You start by the fundamentals of politics. You know, there's the fancy stuff of like policy creation and all of that jazz that people love to talk about. But the true heart of politics is organizing and getting mm. people to vote. And that doesn't require anything more than the willingness to speak to people one on one or on the phone. That's it. Mm -hmm. If you are a people person and you are able to like I came from sales at that point, so. I can talk to a wall if I need to make a sale. Like, that's just something I'm able to do. And listen, I put in years at the debate club. Is that why they built the wall? That's why they you built asked the wall they, to get they, built, They huh? needed you to sell to the wall to make it come down. That's the <laughs> concept. Um, but, you know, that's the fundamentals of grassroots politics. And that's what got Obama elected. That's what got AOC elected. That's what brings people together and mobilized for a cause, right? So when 2016 happened, and then shortly after that, there was the Parkland shooting um, in Florida, the school, which a lot of, uh, a, one of the folks that was killed was actually um, a resident of my neighborhood of Long Island. His parents were here. Scott Beagle, he was one of the teachers that sacrificed himself to save his students. Um, wow. So that climate in which I re-entered politics was a climate of people scared. You know, during that time, I saw the formation of Muslims for Progress, who most people don't know this and they don't get the clout that they deserve, but they are one of the biggest reasons why Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a congresswoman today. Mm. 
they did so much to help her get elected. They did phone calls. They fundraised for her. And it was a group, a community that didn't even live in her district, but they were a community that knew they were under attack and were scared. And they're like, we need to do something. And they turned to politics. Most of them had never been in politics. They were, you know, working professionals that just were scared for their kids to go to school, you know, and were parents and they were trying to like understand why this country is going this way. And they realized that this is how they had to get involved. They had to get involved in elections, right? So that's where I started. I started as just a field organizer and my job was to get volunteers to come volunteer for a candidate and, you know, advocate for him and go out and make phone calls on his behalf. And, you know, from hey, there, that's what Obama you know, used to do. Yeah, he was a community organizer. That's how so he started. So we, we as well. could have we could have another future, future president. president on this podcast. Well, right I now. wasn't born in this country, folks. But oh, oh, <laughs> darn, don't oh, worry. Sorry. I'll be a tiger mom and get one of my kids to do it one day. <laughs> there That's you the go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know that is the fundamentals. That is the foundation. And I, I think what my life has taught me is if you're not a master of fundamentals, you won't get far, you know, whether it's fashion, whether it's politics. If you don't know how to connect with someone on a one-on-one basis and leave the jargon crap out of there, like I know people that can talk policy and political philosophy for hours, but will not speak to a single voter. (laughs) Like, dude, your knowledge means nothing then. Because if you can't get someone to the polls to cast a vote for what you believe in and get them to understand why it's so important, then you're useless to me. Like, that's useless work. Where do you think that our community lacks in this? I mentioned that we, there was the Black Lives Matter protest going on. I know that you are one of the founding members of the Malielas for Black Lives Matter. How do you get our community to care? Where do our, our community lack in politics? I think where our community lacks is just understanding that um, you are not safe. <laughs> like, as much as you want to think... You know, South Asians are a product of the model minority myth. I'm sure you guys have heard this phrase thrown around, but it is this, I call it a delusion. Others might have a much nicer phrasing for it, but I don't. But it is this belief that if you keep your head down and you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to be just fine. That's the fundamentals of it, right? And as a culture, we're trained from that, from the motherland. Like, that's not something that's new here. That's just how we think, right? It's Like, don't cause a ruckus, just Don't cause a ruckus, get your degree, get your money, and keep it pushing. Like, that's all you need to do. But at some point, we need to realize that we are a part of a whole, and we need to claim our piece at the table, right? And I feel like more and more South Asians are getting mobilized because they understand what how the problem is affecting them directly i mean the muslim ban is an excellent example of this like you're you know a lot of the community that's here i mean most of them are doctors they're surgeons they're like computer engineers and all of a sudden you know for them and this is a bit of a post 9-11 world where you know enough time has passed where they felt like they've you know reached a place where they weren't gonna get 
penalized again, if you will, for lack of a better word. But then this ban happens and this dude is elected to office where his gang of minions is talking all of this nonsense. And the first thing he does is this ban. That just like, sh- like shook a lot of people's worlds where they were just like... Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you yeah, can, we're not safe. You're not you safe, and I yeah. tell this, you know, to folks that you know, like because we're Indian Christians. I come from the Indian Christian community. There's also another falsehood of well, we're Christians. They're not going to come after us. We're just like them because this is a Christian nation. Nah, boo boo. When you get pulled over and the cop sees my husband from a distance, he can think that this is a danger like he's a threat he could be seen as a black man he's seen as a brown man in america no one's asking him what his religion is at that moment right like that's a fear i have and it's a valid fear because we saw the 75 year old grandpa the gujarati or i'm sorry i think he was hyderabadi but indian grandpa who was slammed to the ground and paralyzed simply for walking around in his neighborhood right like we are not the exception we are not protected and in this world where i don't i'll use the rhetoric because it is the correct rhetoric in this world where whiteness kind of formulates our institutions and where people feel you know threatened by the other we are all um at risk right and by acknowledging that which is a very difficult truth i feel to acknowledge nobody wants to feel like they're not secure and they're not safe, but it's a reality that you have to face. And I feel like once our community faces that, they'll be more willing to put themselves out there. And real quick on that, though, I think that where we're sitting, being able to speak about this and and the opportunities that you've created for yourself are all privileges. And I don't want to disrespect the experiences of generations before us that had to follow a certain protocol to stay safe of course i don't really i always say this i don't understand the point of trying to get aunties and uncles on board with black lives matter and let me expound it's not that you know you know we all understand the innate racism that exists in our communities we understand it right i can understand where uncles and aunties come from if that is all you know then that is all you know. This is all the parameters you have to work with. Okay, so your understanding is limited. And also, they're the ones that came here, (laughs) didn't speak the language, figured this ish out, and gave us all of these opportunities. So I'm all for giving them grace because, listen, they had to deal with their own struggles and nobody wants to feel like their struggles don't mean as much as you know, a black man in America. I think that's the root of it. I'm so glad that you said that. (laughs) You're the only person for real for the first time I've heard say that. And I feel like I'm crazy all the time because when I'm on TikTok or whatever, people are bashing their parents parents or just their families. Yeah, I don't understand that. And acknowledging that that factor exists um, is so important, and I think like. But it, it's. I'm so. I'm. I'm. It's great, still I'm important to educate, that. though, right? Yes, it is our job to educate them. It is not their job to educate themselves, and it mm-hmm. is not our. We don't have the right 
to ridicule them for their lack of understanding. Because, listen, they crossed way bigger mountains than any of us ever did. And they did that for their family. They did what they had to do for their family. Because at the end of the day, South Asian culture runs on doing what is best for your family. And that's a level of selflessness that even my generation, our generation, will never understand, right? That's just not something that we're going to fully understand. So for them, the way they look at it is like, well, I came here, I had to deal with all of this bull, and I built all of this. So if I can do this, why can't they do this? Mm -hmm. And that right there Mm -hmm. just represents their lack of understanding of the system that they're in. We've had the privilege to sit there and understand that. They have not. So how dare we judge them for that? That just makes no sense to me because it's like, bro, my mom didn't have time to go read a book on decolonizing your mind. Like that's, (laughs) she had shit to do. Like she had to go to work. Like you have time to watch the Netflix documentary on a Saturday because you're living at your parents' house. Like I just get so... I just don't understand that. I love those I love those memes that are like my dad came here with $5 yeah. in his pocket when he was 16, <laughs> me at 16 doing TikTok dances. Like, I it's love true. that cuz yeah. it's so true. It's like, you know, uh what is it? There's a there's another saying that's missing my mind, but that to me is the fundamentals that we have to understand. I don't think the the object should be converting the elders. I think the object should be fixing your crew, like fix yourself and educate yourself and do the work yourself and make sure that folks that are born and brought up here aren't perpetuating certain nonsense, right? Like I'll use the best example, the use of the N-word in the, the circles that I see. Like... The level of problematic that is, is just like next level. But I just, just dismantling that means you've done incredible work. (laughs) Like that is an achievement and should be, you know, advocated for. But I just don't think that, you know, it's, it's not fair to go after uncles and aunties. It's not productive. It's not. What are you going to gain except for just feeling like, oh, I stuck it to the man. Like they are the authority figure in your life. So you want to like, you know, (laughs) feel some sort of power over them. You need to get to the deeper issue. Yeah. That's not, if you're hating on your parents for something like that, you're you're probably, you just don't like them. Yeah. And you should probably figure out what that problem is. That's your own childhood trauma you got to unpack. That's not going to happen on my time. You know, like that's just, I think it's, I also don't like, like, uh, I don't like when people use uncle, like, don't come from the uncles and aunties. Come on, man. Like, you're here because of them. Like, it just, you know, there might be things that they do that are distasteful and, you know, but it's our job to be empathetic and understand where they come from because we've had the privilege to not have the stress that they had at our ages. Right on. Leo, what is um, your takeaway and, and, and your mission going forward um, for all of our listeners before we wrap this thing up? Well, my mission moving forward is really to use my platform to share all of this knowledge I've accumulated <laughs> over the years and really just empower folks to follow their passions and feel that they have the ability to 
do whatever it is that they set their mind to do. You know, we talked a lot about, like, talent and eye and style and all of those things. You know, that's all one area of the spectrum. But what I constantly see in clients and, like, personal life and all these things are just people unwilling to take the jump to live their truth or pursue what they want because something's holding them back either it's confidence or resources or what have you but for me I just want to use my platform to be like if you want to do something you can do it just put your mind to it I mean yeah I think my life is an example of that like when I decided to drop out of college and do all these things it was it was not a popular decision and to date it's not my parents' favorite decision I made, but, you know, it all worked out because I just had to believe in myself and do that work to get there. That's... You are you are a prime example of that. <laughs> um, and you're an excellent um, leader for that. Oh, and, thank and, you, and, you guys. Know, just everything you shared today, I think yeah. it's so beneficial to hear. That's why we uh, went so long, because it was just <laughs> endless amounts of just pure uh, knowledge um, that, you, that you're sharing with us. And so many, so many things. So, so <laughs> thank you. We're truly thankful. That felt like for, some, for that was something that you would here. say, honestly. There was so much gem dropping. <laughs> I'm sure she has a word. Yeah. I'm sure she would. Gem dropping now. <laughs> a lot of the stuff I can't pre-plan. It just comes out of my mouth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's, it's important. When you say, like, you know, you want your community to be in a certain light, yeah. it's important that you share your story and, and show by, uh, lead by example yeah. Of, yeah. of what that was. And I think the reason I sent that DM was uh, this year I made this conscious effort of I need to stop. (laughs) This is going to sound so stupid. I need to stop hiding my light under a bushel. Somebody said that to me in 2020. And I was like, that's going to be my phrase forever. (laughs) Like, I have this tendency because I don't ever want to come across as like this obnoxious asshole always bragging about herself. So I tend to like keep my stuff to myself. But then I realized, who am I helping by doing that? I'm really just feeding into some of this faux image of humility of myself, but really I'm not paying it forward. If I'm really about empowering people and sharing what I know, then I need to talk about what I've done. So thank you for allowing me to bully myself onto here because it <laughs> helps me talk about my story a little bit more. <laughs> well, look here. You have a certain uh, standard and expectation for how you see quality. Look at it as this. So do we. And we feel honored that you asked. And sometimes when we're you know, in front of so many different people and interacting with all these people, we don't always get to... S- um, put everything in front of us and say, oh yeah, we have to have this person, this person, this person. So you helped us. And, and from there, there's also a lot of people that reach out to us and say they want to be on the show or whatever. And sometimes we get to just seek out. We knew from the beginning that we loved you when you came on to Brown Code yeah. and, um, you know, when you were messaging us and it was just, mm-hmm. you're, you're a lovely person. And this had to have happen and I'm so glad it did. So, well, wonderful. Well, know, I thank, love thank, you guys you and so everything much. that you do. <laughs> Thank you. Where can people find you if they want to follow you and keep up with all the great stuff you do? Uh, you can find me on both the Instagram and TikTok at amashik underscore. So it's A M M A C chic C H I C underscore. Linked in the description. And then uh, for any of your 
you got a wedding coming up, you need a new wardrobe, hit up West by East. And I'll share the link nice. for that as well. The show. For sure. Um, this is Strange Flavors. We have to end the show with one very important question. Um, Shamir, if you want to ask that question. If you could describe yourself in any flavor, what would it be and why? Of ice cream? Like any flavor of anything? Any flavor of anything. It doesn't just have okay. to be restricted uh, to ice cream. Popeye's fried chicken. Whoa. <laughs> that is... Left, left turn. Why? That is because consistency of excellence. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that is why. Say less. But it's 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 facts. I don't know if you guys eat Popeyes, but I've never had bad Popeyes in the <laughs> twenty five years that I've eaten it, and it's my favorite meal ever. Dang. Consistency of you excellence. said consistency of excellence. Yes, because wow. just put being a, excellent to put once. A stamp on. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. I will. I might do that. That that just came out of my brain, so I'm gonna write that down. Oh, it's recorded, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but like just keep we talked, there was another phrase that we came up with in um in one of our Instagram group chats that I use to date reparations for colonization. I use that all the time, like. <laughs> Constantly, I have all white colleagues. I work for the New York State Ledge, so I'm always like, do if I do something like stupid, they're like, and they're like complaining about like reparations for colonization. Then I walk out of there. <laughs> my favorite oh my phrase God. to use. I love it. it do you say that to them? Yeah, I love well, that. that's awesome. You know, I, love I love that. that. They take it in grace. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Popeye's fried chicken. Uh, she just spit a whole lot of bars, and I'm sure she's very tired. She told me that she's basically a grandma and goes to sleep early, so we appreciate you sticking around for that long. Oh, thank you. This, um, this was With fun. all the technical difficulties and all that. Mm -hmm. um, thank you, Leah, for being here, and thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Strange Flavors. It's been another week. Another flavor. A little less stranger. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. She's, she's